Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are rejoined by the awesome Sam Norman. Sam, how are you doing today, buds? Chris, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right, sir, doing all right. Uh, had a lovely morning with uh, with Luna. We we went for a couple walks, uh, including doing some dinosaur catching, because I love playing that uh, mobile game, Jurassic Park Alive, that is essentially Pokemon Go, but with dinosaurs. At least to my limited knowledge, because I played Pokemon Go for all of five minutes. Uh, but everybody else has told me it's it's Pokemon Go, but with dinosaurs. I like the game much more than I liked the movie, so there, there's that. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, th- this one makes me happy. It's fun. The movie was better than I thought it would be, but it was horribly depressing. Um, Everyone I saw it with, my wife and uh, her parents, we all left afterwards and we're like, that was, that was dark and not like evil dark, just upsetting dark. Uh, So we were all kind of bummed out there. I'll admit there was one part that actually made me cry a little bit earlier in the movie where, and it, it did it for the right reasons, but it still sucked to see. But then the rest of the movie was just, it was a fair bit of a bummer. So I'm probably not going to end up buying that one just because I'm like, I'm not going to want to watch it. It's not like Schindler's List where it's an amazing film where you have to watch it every once in a while because of how good the performance is and the direction and everything in the film are, film are because it's a fantastic film. You When you throw that on, you know your day is going to be wrecked. Like, you're just like, I'm not really going to recover. I'm probably going to need to watch like 10 episodes of Friends afterwards just to get to an all right level. Uh, but with Jurassic World, as much as much as it was better than what it looked like it would be. And I mean, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the first one was excellent. Uh, and the first Jurassic Park was even better. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, is it's not great enough for me to be like, all right, I'm going to sit through the borderline depression it's going to cause for the rest of the day. All right, sorry for that sidetrack. I just, uh, I like talking about movies. Um, Sam, what are we talking about today, buds? Well, a bit of a controversial um, topic to say the least, but it's it's an important one and an important one uh, within theological circles just to to, to wrestle with a bit, even if we don't come to our own sort of conclusion straight away, is uh, the the differences between Arminianism and Calvinism as a type <laughs> of theology. Uh, now, a lot of people will know what that is. Um, others will have no idea. <laughs> and I'll say, this is my one of my favorite kinds of controversial, it, just because it's it's not like upsetting controversy. It's not like, oh, those mooks. Those, those fools, like, it's not something where it's like something tragic or terrible has happened or where people are frothing at the mouth at each other. Unfortunately, that does happen, but to a much less degree. So while you're right in the sense of it's controversial, it can spark some deep-seated conversations. That's great. Um, it's not like a something tragic or terrible has happened or controversial like... I hate to say it, but The Last Jedi or movies where people are now getting crazy upset and frothing at the mouth and attacking others over over stuff that, yes, debate uh, to varying degrees of importance. But 
still you're like at the end of the day it's like I, I I love movies but these are movies guys let's let's dial it down a little bit um so I do love this kind of controversial topic where you're like okay yep it, it is very important but thankfully it doesn't get to that level of negativity almost for the most part Sam back to you <laughs> yeah that 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 does seem to uh, happen a lot of movies uh, I don't know whether it's just people get really emotionally entangled uh, in what's happening uh, or what but yeah this this topic brings up a lot of debate and actually some people you do say that it's, it's not con- as controversial but it does uh, bring up a couple of uh, different emotions from different people um, and people put certain more levels of importance on it uh, than others um, but yeah it's, it's important just to listen to just to explain where this where these sort of terms have come from uh, so the first first term will explain Calvinism so Calvin uh, is a theologian uh, who was uh, came about uh, just after the uh, Reformation uh, and he's he's very important figure in the Reformation he wrote probably as much as any of us are going to read ever in our lifetimes um, and he was instrumental um, in the sort of uh, divorcing of the uh, Anglican Church from the Catholic Church and the uh, so that's where the term Calvinism uh, comes from it's meant to be a sort of doctrine which comes out of the writings of Calvin whereas you've got Arminianism on the other side uh, which is uh, from a sprout from a guy called Arminius who was a responder to the ideas of Calvinism um, I believe after Calvin's death actually but he um, he fought against certain ideas which he didn't agree with um, and uh, so you've got these two opposites actually the form of both of them have changed a little bit from what the they, uh, the original authors perhaps um, said. Uh, I'd say Arminianism more than Calvinism, uh, but you, there is a little bit more of a difference between them. Uh, yeah, back to you, Chris. Yeah, um, I I love that you mentioned that they they've grown and changed. I saw a uh, a meme a while ago, and it was uh, essentially saying like, would Calvin even be a modern day Calvinist where it, it has changed. And at points, um, Calvinists do put such an importance on like the tulip, the five, the five points and all that, where it's like, what would Calvin even go to this, uh, like to, to the place that it has? Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'd say that the five points, just as a side note, that was really only spoken of. I think it was first spoken of in a sermon uh, in the uh, sort of late 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, so it's a modern term. But uh, I guess what people would argue is, uh, would, would Calvin agree with the five points which of Calvinism, which I explained today? I mean, I'd argue that they would. Um, <laughs> other people wouldn't but I mean uh, yeah it really it depends on what you think but actually the five points in Tulip is an important uh, part to bring up uh, and it's, it's probably one of the most um, sort of debated five points between Armini- uh, between Arminian- Arminianists or Arminians uh, uh, not to be confused with Armenians which are uh, from Armenia um, so we have no, no beef with uh, Armenians at all um, we love all of you, uh, but yeah, the uh, the five points of of uh, Calvinism, which weirdly enough, uh, 
there's been uh, additions to these five points as well. So there's now seven point Calvinists, nine point Calvinists. Um, I mean, John Piper is a classic example of someone who called himself a seven-point Calvinist. But it'd probably be important to explain what these five points are and say what um, uh, some Arminists would agree with and disagree with. So you've got the the main five points is the, of the tulip is T, which stands for total depravity. And it talks about how uh, us as humans we're we're sinful human beings and we're unable uh, to to. Uh, to come to God's level, uh, we're unable to come to God in our depraved state. Uh, R.C. Sproul would call it total inability rather than total depravity because we're not as depraved as we can be. That's why you see atheists who are nice people uh, and Christians who are bad people. It's not to do with our, uh, our level of how, uh, yeah, how depraved we are. It's more about our ability to come to God uh, for salvation. Uh, you would be unconditional election, um, which which really talks about uh, this idea that there are no conditions on us being saved. Uh, us, there's no nothing about a Christian um, which allowed him or made him valuable, more valuable than someone else to be chosen or elect, as the as the ESV would perhaps uh, say. Um, and then you've got the uh, L, which is limited atonement. Limited atonement just being like the uh, atonement which Jesus gave for us uh, is limited to those who are saved. Uh, some people, this is the most debated point within the five points, actually. Some people say, actually, you know what? It could be unlimited. You know, if Jesus, uh, if God wanted to save everyone, um, he could. In that way, it's unlimited. However, uh, others disagree with that. Uh, you've got I, which is uh, of the tulip, which is ir irresistible grace. The idea that the grace which is given to us is irresistible. You can't reject it. And then P, which is perseverance of the saints, uh, which links into to I as well there, actually, is the idea that once you have that grace, once you are saved, you are always going to be saved. Um, and that's, yeah, these are all taken out of certain passages in the Bible, uh, multiple passages um, and built into this, these five points of of Calvinism about our salvation and how it comes about. Yeah, uh, Sam, thank you so much for breaking that down and breaking down Tulip. Um, I've got some friends who, who are Arminian, and even though we disagree, we, we still love each other. But for me, one of the things is, um, like, I'm, I'm, I'll admit, I'm a Calvinist. Um, I, I lean theologically that way. It's something I've mentioned numerous times uh, through the grace of God I've had a lot of friends who are not but also who are and that's it's really helped shape my understanding of scripture and I do see a lot of backing for once saved always saved and personally it's something I, I am thankful for um, in the sense of I have some friends who I do truly believe were saved um, but who have who have wandered a bit. So it's a it's a prayer I cling to. It's a prayer. Of course, I pray for them to to come back and have that firm relationship with God and repent and be walking with him again. But I'm like, you know what? People people have wandered. There is room for that, but I pray I hope and pray and believe for some of them that that salvation was genuine. So on that very level, I'm thankful for that. And that, that's something I'm like, I'm clinging to, uh, <laughs> but 
Yeah, yeah. I should probably add as well that, yeah, I, I am a Calvinist as well. But we're, in this, we're trying to explain as best we can both sides of the mm-hmm. argument, just to give a bit of an equal overview. Um, I do think that, as you're saying, actually, the perseverance of the saints, that, that part is a very... Um, it is a very hopeful part of those five points and what scripture promises to us, the idea that uh, once you're chosen, God is not going to forsake you. Um, it's the idea, you know, the prodigal son, that if, uh, if, if you go out and you wander and you squander everything, um, as I've had many, many friends who have done that, um, actually you trust that God is going to bring them back to himself. Um, and and that actually those who are his elect or those who are his sons and daughters he is going to keep uh, close to him and will ultimately um, cause them to persevere and yeah we do we have to pray for our brothers and sisters as you're saying Chris I actually that's one of the uh, points I wanted to bring up is prayer um, and prayer prayer is such an important part of the um, of the the Christian life. Uh, we should be living a, a life of prayer. Of prayer. Um, Paul talks uh, about us praying unceasingly. Um, and actually, I, I think this particular theology does uh, dig in a little bit to about prayer um, and its effects. I mean, so for me, uh, the Calvinist sort of view of prayer is when you pray, uh, you can pray for others' salvation. And I think that's such an important part. And so I've heard many, many speakers say that actually there was no no real conversion of someone to faith without prayer. Um, and in some ways I could believe that because it is such a powerful tool which God has given us to just, yeah, to join in with him in this grace, to, to join in uh, with what he's doing and, yeah, allowing him to work through, uh, work through our prayers. It's a very personal thing. Uh, one of the things I have a little bit of, problem with Arminianism is actually that idea that you can you can't really pray for someone's will to be changed you can't uh, be you can't pray because that freedom of will cannot be uh, restricted uh, often in many Arminianist views Um, and that's uh, that's a big problem for me because I believe that God is a God who who can do um, whatever he wills to do um, and if he wants to change someone's heart, as I believe he's changed mine. Um, I assume you, you believe the same, Chris. Um, and he does with every every Christian. He actually he does give us that grace and, and enables us to to choose him. But yeah, that's that's definitely one point I find really important about Calvinism. Yeah, and I think um, I think there's scriptural evidence and for for that. And I know that there's scriptural evidence for what Arminians believe. Um, even though I don't come to that conclusion, it's not like they're just pulling this out of a hat and being like, hey, this is a thing. Because unfortunately, um, and I'm not trying to pick on people, but there are groups that do that and we're going to get the, to them soon. Um, but Arminians, Arminians don't. But I think there is evidence for God changing people's wills. Uh, let's look at King David. He started, and he is identified as a man after God's own heart. In his early years, he was super faithful, super faithful. Uh, Like, there wasn't really another person um, who was uh, as on fire for God in the Old Testament at that time as King David. I think that's fair to say. Um, 
I'm sure someone will cite someone, and you know what? They're, they're, I'll say they'll probably be right. But that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, King David is one of the best examples for someone on fire in his young life. But after he became king, things kind of changed. His what He started following the will of his heart a lot more instead of following the will of God. But in his later years, after he did some terrible stuff and uh, decided to go for Bathsheba, Yep, after uh, he decided to go for Bathsheba and then try to bring his his boy Uriah back and be like, all right, you're going to have relationships with your wife and the child that your wife and I have conceived will you'll think is your child. And Uriah was just a straight up good dude and was like, no, my 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 friends are battling. And then David did some worse stuff because he got caught up in his lie. Um, like he he later truly repented. And I think that shows like, God's will. God can change people's will, but not in a forceful way. It's not like he's got a gun to people's heads being like, do this or you're toast. But I, I do think that, that King David shows that uh, a bit. Yeah, and it's important, actually, that you brought up will and free will and this idea of uh, yeah grappling with, with what that actually means. Growing in the Western society, uh, R.C. Sproul, we would say that we, we grow up with this particular view of free will, which is very Pelagian or, or pagan. Uh, we don't have a, a sort of a correct view of it. So we often think that we have this idea of this free will to do whatever we want with no restrictions. However, we sort of, we do have, well, the most common restriction would be, uh, would be like, for example, if I wanted to fly, I can will as much as I want to fly, but I'm not going to fly. Um, and it's very, it's very much the same with the human heart um, and our own wills. So if I want to be, uh, want to, want to believe in Christ, um, or want to believe in that, I'm going to have to have that ability put in me before I believe that. Um, and it's this, uh, the the free will uh, that he he suggests is something called compatibilism. The idea that the will which you pick is uh, the, the thing that you pick is the thing you want to happen. It's to do with wants rather than wills. For example, if I walk into a restaurant um, and I, there's steak or there's tomatoes, I'm going to want the steak. Um, if I want the steak, I'm going to get the steak. I'm not going to get the tomatoes just because I don't like tomatoes. I think they're a whole horrible fruit and I wish they're, they're post-fall and we should get rid of them. Um, <laughs> But but uh, but other than that, I think uh, apart from that, we I think it's important that actually, if I was to pick the tomatoes, there's going to be a reason why my will has changed to get those tomatoes. I'm not going to pick it against my will. And people do do things against their will for sure, uh, but that's often because they're in a situation where someone is putting a gun to their head, uh, or there's a similar situation. Therefore, they are compromising on that. And their will, which they're acting on, is in fact still the wants which they want to do. You don't do something you don't want to do, is my point. Uh, and, and compatibilism sort of says that. My, my favourite illustration, which I got taught, is if you're driving along a motorway uh, and you're deciding, or a highway, uh, and you're, you're uh, wanting to uh, stop off and get something to eat, and you're like, oh, I really fancy a Big Mac, you know. So you, you drive, you pull off, and you go to the McDonald's, and... Uh, you go to the store and 
oh no, like the, the oven's broken, everything, everything's broken, the fryer's broken, you're not getting any uh, chips, you're not getting any milkshake. But actually the one thing they have is uh, Big Macs. And it's the idea that actually, even though all the other options aren't there, you're getting what you wanted. Uh, and that's how a, a compatibilism view of free will worked. And a, a lot of Calvinists uh, will believe uh, in this sort of free will, whereas Arminianism uh, and Arminianists will believe in freedom of will completely um, in anything or some sort of uh, thing to that degree. Uh, and that's really the, yeah, that's the difference, that, which is really at the heart of the debate between Arminianists and, and Calvinists. And uh, any of our friends who are Arminianists listening, uh, please, dear listener, let us know in the comments. Uh, specify and let us know, like, hey, if you feel our understandings off and why. And I, I also ask, please be as, uh, as peaceful with that as possible. So, yeah, let, let us know in the comments if, uh, if what we're saying is, if you feel it's accurate or if not, why. And also point us. Point us to why you why you feel otherwise, and uh, hey, the the hope here is to grow. Even if we don't agree, then we can understand your viewpoint more. Um, yeah, and it's interesting with the with the free will thing, um, and I do think there's room for the the compartmentalist. I said that word wrong. Compatibilist. Oh, my bad. Yeah, com- compatibilist. Um, I'm th- when you mention that, I think of. I, uh, Jesus on the cross where he even said um, your w- where it's like your will be done and not my will but yours um, where he's saying like if it's if it's my will I wouldn't be doing this uh, he asked if the if the pass if the cup could be passed may it be passed and it wasn't but he still submitted to God's will but not in the forced against his own way where it's yeah. yes it it would be my will to not go have to do this i know the pain and everything that i'm about to go go through but i'm still willing to follow your will um yeah it wasn't a absolute like oh okay yeah no i'm not doing this no way uh uh-uh. uh it's or i'm going to do it through gritted teeth it it was very much a submitted thing um all right, so earlier I said uh, some groups who pull things out of a hat. <laughs> um, let's let, let's talk about that, and there's going to be two in particular that I'd like to uh, focus on, but not in a beat-em-up way. It's just in a way of this is an area of concern, and two, two I don't know if they're, to call them denominations is fair, but... Uh, Actually, well, one of them is, but it's two groups of two different theologies that have a lot of concerning things. And I think we should call them out. Um, Yeah, uh, universalist churches um, and and prosperity theology and prosperity gospel, which is something that you and I have called out and said is bad a couple times. And Steve and I on various episodes have referenced also as bad but since we're talking theology let's get into why these things are bad and why they are as concerning as they are yeah 
So, yeah, I think we need to really take them one by one. Uh, they have different issues and they bring up different problems. Uh, I think the most uh, interesting one for me to, to sort of engage with, would, for us to engage with, would be uh, universalists. Uh, now, for, for listeners who don't know what that is, uh, those are often, universalists are people who would uh, say that they're Christians um, and, and they would claim that actually everyone is going to heaven. So uh, people would, uh, who would hold to this view are people such as Rob Bell, um, and he would often uh, he would often argue that there is no such thing as hell, um, and that actually uh, he, he wrote a book called Love Wins, and he he pushes this idea that love will push through in the end, and every single person on this earth uh, will eventually believe um, in God and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, now, it's a it's a dangerous doctrine uh, for for a couple of reasons. Uh, mainly, it, it takes away uh, the responsibility of of individuals um, and the importance of the choices made on earth now. I mean, uh, the the biggest point I I want to make is if universalism is true, uh, there's no point in in Christianity having all this idea of repentance, any idea of having to come to uh, to put their trust in Jesus, because if everyone was going to do it eventually. Why don't I just live how I'm gonna live, you know? Um, and it's it's a big sticking point with universalists, which uh, the rest of the Christian church has. Uh, I think Rob Bell is an interesting person to bring up, so uh, because he, he does talk about hell and how it doesn't exist, uh, whereas actually we've uh, there's there's uh, the word hell appears. I think it's about fifty four times in the Bible, depending on what translation you have, um, and. That's really important for us because even Jesus talked about hell, uh, referencing a place outside of Jerusalem often where uh, rubbish would be burning um, continually and you could see the smoke. Uh, but actually there, there was this, uh, in scripture there is a firm idea that there is a place of paradise um, and there is a place where um, non-believers who don't want to be from, with God are going to be. And there's that... Uh, also, the other idea that uh, people who don't want to believe and don't want to be with God and reject God, God isn't going to force them against their will to go and be with him. And, and hell really is that separation from God. It's that ultimate separation. So here on earth, we, uh, we get this, uh, this, this idea of uh, blessings from God, this idea that he's created us, he's sustaining creation uh, and we are blessed uh, that, that uh, as it says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. So there's that general um, blessing that we get from just being on earth from God. Um, yet actually after this, after this life, when, after the first death, when we have to uh, come to judgment and, and uh, explain what, why we've lived our life and what, what, who we've put our trust in, uh, that ultimate separation happens after that and we won't see this apparent uh, blessing we have around us, uh, which a lot of people assume they might have. Yeah, and uh, another thing that really bothers me with the universalist perspective, um, and I'll name the United Church of Canada that, that has this. Now, um, what I'd recommend, dear listener, is if you're, if you're researching this, and I, I'd recommend to, um, like, 
I'm hoping, of course, you're listening to us and hearing our hearts and hearing that it's not coming from a place of judgment and condemnation, but a place of concern and that we're coming from a scriptural perspective for that. Um, If you're looking up churches that have united in their name, look into it deeper. Uh, I remember when I moved out to Waterdown and I worked at the Staples, I met a guy uh, who came in once and he's like, oh yeah, I'm from the United Reformed Church. And I sat there, I'm like, okay. And in my head, I'm like, that's an oxymoron. Those two things don't go together because... Reformed churches tend to lean Calvinistically as well, um, and they would not line up with a Universalist United Church of Canada church. And then that same gentleman came back in later and explained, like, no, there was, like, 15 different Reformed churches in the area, and then they decided to unite under one like roof under one, I guess, sub-denomination where they were now the United Reformed Church. But then he was also like, I'm not a fan of the name for that very reason. Um, but the United Church of Canada does hold a universalist perspective. Um, aside from the many things that Sam addressed that are issues, one of the bigger ones for me is that it holds a perspective that Jesus is only one of many paths. There are many paths to God. There are many paths to salvation in and heaven as described in in scripture. But for me, this is a glaring big issue as it's mentioned numerous times throughout scripture and several by Jesus himself uh, that that is not the case. Uh, Jesus himself says that I am the way to the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And he says that in John 14, 6. So when we're twisting the word, twisting or disregarding the words of Scripture and the words of from the Savior himself, that is a big issue for me. Um, and I do pray and hope that anybody who's in a United Church is genuinely saved but if you're if you're there and you're practicing, I'm I'm not quite sure how, as there's there's some of if not more of those issues. And just because you uh, Sam mentioned uh, Rob Bell's book Love Wins, I'd recommend uh, if you want to learn more about hell and why non-universalist churches hold to hell, an excellent book to read. Although, as I said in the podcast with um, with Pastor Isaac, upsetting, but a great read. And it's upsetting because hell sucks. Like, we, we believe in judgment. We believe God's judgment is great. But there are plenty of people I know who aren't saved who I don't want to go to hell, who I'm praying every day will be saved and not end up there. It is a reality. So that that, that is a bit upsetting. And I'm praying, Lord, save those and may you... <laughs> May you soften their hearts. May their wills be open to coming to know you. Um, Check out Francis Chan's book, Erasing Hell. It is an excellent book that brings up the reality of hell, how various uh, other denominations view it and how there are different views, but why he brings up why it is separation from God, but also an actual place and not just one thing. It's a complex thing, and that book brings it up very well, so check that out. Yeah, it's a really, really good 
passage you brought up there, Chris, actually, a really good point. It's a really great book. love Francis Chan um, as well. I think another passage which really sums it up really well is Matthew 11, 27, uh, which, uh, which, is, uh, which says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And it's the idea that actually, unless Jesus... Uh, is going to reveal the Father who is seen as God, um, you're not going to uh, get to him because you're not going to see him. Actually, the Son is the reflection of the Father. So that the rejection of the Son of Jesus is a rejection of who God is. Um, mm -hmm. And that is ultimately uh, the choice we've got is, do we want to reject uh, God uh, in rejecting Jesus? Uh, and choosing another path... Um, it's not going to do that. And I think the biggest quibble I have uh, with uh, universalists when they say that uh, there are multiple paths to God um, is, is, the, uh, is, is the problem that uh, actually um, there, there, there would be obvious contradictions between certain religions and certain practices which they say that God had said for them to do um, versus others. I mean, the uh, uh, one just off the top of my head would be uh, the for Islam, uh, the eating of halal meat uh, only, and you can't eat a, a piece of uh, animal which hasn't been um, through this halal, which is a certain way of killing the animal and praying over the animal. And it's the same with actually uh, the Jewish people in kosher uh, meats. But the uh, Christian believes that actually all things are clean uh, through... Uh, uh, a certain uh, passage in Acts, which uh, we believe that. And actually, the, the contradiction there means that God isn't a God of consistency, which uh, is a big problem for us as Christians, and should be for anyone in any other religion, that God can say one thing and mean another. Uh, and that's a very unstable uh, thing to believe in. So, uh, And you can clearly see from just that alone how that, could be a problem and uh, and how it's a very outside view sort of being imposed upon texts um, and yeah and the universalists uh, I, I haven't really heard many arguments against those sort of inconsistencies um, but yeah it's a, it's a big problem I think yeah I uh, I definitely agree with you there and the the other group um, or I, I don't want to say group because it's I'm not trying to do like an us versus them thing but the other theology or um, gospel, if you will, as it's labeled, that I do have a big issue with is the prosperity uh, gospel slash prosperity theology, where I haven't seen it as on an uh, almost a salvatory, uh, meaning salvation questioning issue, but I have grave concerns for that just because a big part of that I don't f find any scriptural evidence. So to p paint in a broad stroke, it's the idea of if you're faithful and if you're living the best life that God has for you, you'll have finances galore. You'll have rims on your rims. You will be rich beyond your wildest dreams. And God wants you. You'll be, he like you'll be healthy beyond anything. God wants you to be healthy. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be financially whatever and... And get a friggin' Gulfstream 7 jet to do, air quotes, your ministry. Um, 
and all this crap <laughs> where it's like I, I don't get it I don't see how you can get there it can and does turn money into into a god it turns god into a bank it turns so many things into things that they're not where you look at the life of the apostles you look at the you look at the life of Jesus who was for all intents and purposes a bum like yes he in his childhood years he lived he he had a home he lived with his his earthly mother and father he had a roof over his head but it wasn't a palace he and when he was on his 3 year journey going around preaching he he was couch surfing his pillows were rocks dude was broke he didn't have money he didn't have fancy cars he didn't have any of this and yet somehow there's groups of pastors who are like send us money and you'll get money and if you pray hard enough you'll be rich you'll have rims on your rims and all this jazz i don't see it and there's so much concern for me for that because then you have people who are like, I guess my faith isn't what it should be and I don't believe in God as much as I should because I don't have squillions and squillions of dollars and it causes a thing where people might walk away from the faith and that is so bothersome to me. Like just uh, not to throw him under the bus but to name a name that is concerning is Joel Osteen where he is very much in that there's videos where he'll quote scripture that's not scripture where he leans that way and it's very evident that he leans that way and his a lot of his books look if you're looking for self-help books that's fine that's to me that's what a lot of his writing is it's not biblical help it's self-help but it's tied into that and there's so much of that kind of thing tied into prosperity theology and the prosperity gospel that I've got a lot of issues with. Clearly, because I've ranted for several minutes now. Um, yeah, Sam. Yeah, another couple of names to point out there would be people like Kenneth Copeland um, and Joyce Meyer as well. I think the, the, you'll see a lot of uh, these, these preachers will have books out many, many books, actually probably some of the most popular uh, Christian books, uh, which they'd be under the Christian section. But as you said, they are like self-help books, really. You might find some scriptural truths in them. Uh, that's important to say, because actually um, certain heresies are difficult to distinguish because there is an element of truth which draws people in to them. And that's important to say that actually you might find when you pick up some of their books, some of the stuff they say does align with what scripture says. Um, I, I can probably think of um, stuff to do with the spiritual realm, for example. Um, some of that stuff I've read uh, a little bit of Joyce Meyer's uh, book. I can't remember the exact title of it. Uh, but actually, she was correct in her use of scripture uh, in a certain chapter, uh, which I was reading. However, there are other parts which are just completely ripped out of context. One of the uh, the the biggest uh, examples which comes to mind is uh, when uh, Joel Olstein there was a, a one uh, something he was preaching called the favor factor and he was preaching on Nehemiah when he went and rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem uh, and 
he describes Nehemiah as uh, a cupbearer, which he is described as in the text. But in saying he's a cupbearer, he says that he's the lowest of the low. He's the person in the back of the kitchen who just goes and washes up and then uh, gives the, the king uh, his or the king his, his drink or whatever it is and then goes back again. Uh, and he's saying that actually he was chosen by God to go and do stuff. Um, and saying that he had that favourite factor. However, what the text is actually saying, um, <laughs> the cupbearer is actually one of the closest positions to the king. He's the person who has the king's ear. He's the person who's, who actually has a lot of power in the land. Uh, so what you'll find with a lot of the prosperity gospel preachers is their exegesis of scripture uh, is awful. And you really just have to go to the text um, and read it yourself and you can just uh, do a little bit of background reading into the passage and you'll find a lot of the stuff they say on the surface might seem easy if you pull this part or that part out of the context that it's in but if you actually look at the context of what they're saying uh, it's often very wrong and another part uh, you, sort of, you can see is, is, is parts about money uh, and this idea of love of money uh, which, which Jesus uh, brings up in the scriptures uh, where he really he talks about you can you can only have one God you can't love money and love God uh, and you can clearly see that these people uh, who are prosperity uh, gospel preachers uh, will have loads of money uh, a lot a lot of money uh, I mean Kenneth Copeland is the richest person uh, I believe the richest prosperity gospel um, preacher uh, in America in the world in fact and he has his own private uh, island he has multiple um, vehicles to get around in, including jets and various things, which you will say are the churches, however they are used for personal use. Uh, and it's, it's a big problem because you can see that actually that money is uh, sort of, it is overwhelmingly uh, the thing which is prominent uh, in their lives. And they will say that actually if you give money to them, that God's going to bless you uh, in that, which is a way people get entrapped in this idea that actually uh, bringing, the more you give, the, the more blessings you get out of uh, out of God and using God as this cash cow, this idea that you can put money in like a slot machine and you can get just, it's got unlimited money to come back if you give to the right cause. And I don't think that's how we should use our money. Uh, God loves a, a, uh, a generous uh, giver, um, but, a, but one who actually does it out of a place of their heart and actually wanting to do it, not out of compulsion or wanting something back. We have to have our heart in the right position before we give. Um, a joyful giver. Um, he likes a joyful giver. Sorry, I just uh, quoted that one wrong. But uh, that is that is that's what he wants: is joyful givers, but not people who are expecting to get the world back um, from him. Because actually, we're promised that uh, later on. Um, you know, we're living on this life, this life now. However, we ha we have a promise of eternal life with God uh, on the new heavens and new earth with Him. Uh, and I think that's a that's a glorious hope to have. Um, we don't have to worry about our health now. We don't have to worry about our riches now. I could live as a homeless man for the rest of my life, but that hope of uh, that we have in Jesus is the thing which will get us through. And that ultimately, uh, ultimately makes us rich is that relationship with him. Thank you for saying that. And yeah, I, I agree 100%. And um, dear listener, uh, please understand that I'm not coming from a place of uh, believing that money is the worst and like in the it's often misquoted where it's like money is the root of all evil where in the bible it says money the love of money 
can lead to to many evils. I, I might be slightly off, but it's essentially that. Um, and there's nothing inherently wrong with a believer being financially well-off and financially successful. Um, if God has blessed you that that way, praise be to God. If you have, if he has blessed you and you've worked hard and you've stewarded well and you are in a great financial place, praise God. That's awesome and he's blessed you there. But that's not what the prosperity gospel and prosperity theology teaches. That's not what's modeled by the by these preachers, by Creflo Dollar, um, <laughs> and a number of others. It's it's this ultimate desire for money and as Sam addressed, where it's like, if you give us if if you give to us, you will be financially blessed. And if you pray hard enough and you for it, you will be financially blessed. That's that's not what that is. If if God's given you money, praise God, and hopefully you are stewarding it well and being a joyful giver. Um, there's nothing wrong with with having money, but it's how you use it and what your heart is about it. Um, it's something that the Lord can definitely bless you with. But prosperity theology takes it to an unhealthy and unscriptural place. Uh, if you want a very confrontational sum up of that, check out Shylin's song, False Teachers. And wow. he'll, he'll, he will also, the last minute and a half is him name dropping people. Now, also, I'd recommend look up on YouTube. I think it's still up. He does a video explaining his heart behind that song where it's, I felt that I needed to call out. I think he had even said he recorded a version of the song without that last minute and a half where he was like, so-and-so, false teacher, so-and-so, false teacher. But there was scriptural backing to calling out. There was scriptural evidence for the need to do it. And his heart was in the right place. I truly believe that. Um, Where other people had called out in the church and had tried to get a hold of these people privately and hadn't worked out. They there was still no go, and that's where it's like, all right, we're at the level where it's a public call out kind of thing. Um, I think he addressed that very well. So look up that video and look up that song, and he will really get into why a lot of it, a lot of big issues of concern with prosperity theology. Uh, Sam, as we wrap this up, I think it is important to say, um, aside from those last two <laughs> that we spent a lot of uh, time addressing concerns and reasons to have issues with those and and also to be in prayer for people who lean that way because they are dangerous um, groups. I'd say not dangerous in the way that they're going to violently attack, but dangerous in the way of it will lead people astray and lead people to a... to to believe that they are saved and that they are not. It will lead them to a false gospel and a false sense of salvation. Um, So listener, please pray for them. Pray that they will truly come to know God. But in the first half of this, we were definitely coming from a (laughs) a Calvinist perspective uh, because we both lean that way and not not to be at the expense of the Arminian. Um, But there are also a number of theological leanings that 
don't have that that deep issue where a, like a universalist church or a, or a prosperity uh, theology church do where it's just a, it's a different understanding and yes theology is important because it informs how you read scripture how you grow in your faith so I'm not taking away the importance but unfortunately people can and have may almost made an idol out of it where it's if you don't lean Calvinistically or if you don't lean Ar Arminianly, uh, you are not saved. You don't know Christ, and you're and you're going to hell. Which I'm not saying that's the case at all. So please don't soundbite that. Um, it's a view that some some people have taken, where it's it gets very divisive. Where it's if you if you're a Catholic, I don't believe you're saved at all. I have a lot of issues with Catholic theology, but at the end of the day, most, I'd say most, if not all Catholic churches do teach the path to heaven is Christ. And it boils down to that issue of you are saved if you have a walking, uh, you are walking with Christ and you have a relationship with him, if you have repented from your sins, and if you have turned to Jesus as your one and only savior. That's what this boils down to. I'm not, Yes, theology is great to talk about, and it is important, but let's not put it up to a thing where if you're not a Calvinist, you're not saved. Or if you're not Arminian, you're not saved. Or if you are not, if you don't belong to one of the 3,700 subdivisions of Baptists, you're not, you're not saved. Or if you're not Catholic, you're not saved. I think there's definitely room for difference of interpretation. Some of which is bad and needs to be talked about, but let's not make it the be the be all end all. Sam, thoughts? Really important, uh, really important points there, actually, Chris. Um, yeah, I think the ultimate thing is uh, you can sort of get a little bit lost in the theology of things, and ultimately, our theology is there to inform us about who God is, um, about how we're meant to go about living our lives. And that is the most important thing is that we, we take away from this is that actually uh, we're just looking at scripture and we're actually taking out what we believe uh, from scripture and what it says rather than putting our own personal worldview on it. So, yeah, I, I have many friends who are Arminian, uh, who are Calvinists, who are something in between. Uh, and I don't believe that's going to affect our salvation. Uh, I think they may be wrong, but that's a completely, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's something we can debate it with. Uh, I think uh, Catholicism, we're going to have to debate another day. Uh, I mean, perhaps the, uh, the, the theology that Catholics push might be, uh, I think, have slightly wider implications and than, than perhaps we're discussing here, but uh, that can be for another day. Um, but the, the main point uh, overall is having that personal relationship with Jesus uh, and actually knowing that he is the person you have to believe in for your salvation. Um, it's not of works. Ephesians 2 uh, is a fantastic of the, uh, talking about this, this idea that actually it's, it's not of works that we're saved. Um, but it's of that grace of God, which he's, he's given us and enabled us to do good works, which he's prepared beforehand uh, for his glory and not for our own. And it's so that we can't boast in our own works. You know, we can't boast in in what our theology is or what good things we've done, because it's all God's grace. Uh, and actually, yeah, that's that's who we've got to believe in. and That's who we've got to follow and who we've got to have a relationship with. Agreed 100 percent. And yeah, um, 
just just to be clear, and uh, any dear listener who's Catholic, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I do have a lot of issues and questions about your theology, and as Sam said, the wider implication. But uh, praise be to God, most of most of the Catholics I have met in real life and online, uh, again, where to me the thing the most important thing that it boils down to is that emphasis on your salvation comes from the Lord. And that one-on-one relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior. So, where you have wired theology, wider theology, where it's like I, I have a lot of issue with this, and I think it can lead to a bad place. It wouldn't be to a, a necessarily like a a dangerous place. Now, of course, other people can and have, and like Sam said, this is a, a second part conversation. And the thing is, it's there are we could we could do this for any theological leaning um people who unfortunately have and do and will again take these theological leanings to bad and unhealthy and unhelpful places but the most important thing is that you you have that one-on-one relationship with jesus Yes, I believe that a Calvinist leaning is, it, for me, it has been the most enlightening, uh, the the most helpful, and it's one, it's the one that I hold to. But it's it's not like if you're Arminian, you're you're not a Christian. I'm like, okay, I don't come to the same conclusions that you do. I think you're wrong on some things, but it's not a well. I'm praying for your salvation kind of thing it's like no i fully you are if you're like i'm a christian i'm like i believe you i don't agree with you on this this and this but the most important thing is that you have that one-on-one relationship with the lord that you are walking with jesus that you have repented that you have you've been born again that's what it boils down to and we we could talk about this till we're blue in the face um sam thank you as always for joining us and uh you 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 come prepared. You are you explain things very well, uh, and you speak very clearly, probably better than I do. So thank you for joining us again. Um, especially so, listener. Every time uh, Sam and I have done a podcast, especially most recently, uh, Homeboy has come in after working a long shift on a physical job at his uh, Bible college, where it's like doing grounds work and other things. So he he comes in quite tired. Um, although this time we were much more awake than last time. (laughs) Um, and I definitely think that showed, but instead of just being like, nah, I'm going to go nap. Um, you're like, you know what? Yeah. Let's, let's talk about these, these fun and important things. Um, and then you nap. So Sam, thank you as always for taking time out of your schedule, especially while you're tired to join us and dear listener, hope you have a wonderful day. Hope you heard our hearts and that uh, God spoke to you through this. And let us know in the comments um, what what are your thoughts about what we talked about. If you have any concerns on our viewpoints, what they are, and and please bring bring them up to us. The hope it it's again like I talked about last time, ironing sharpening iron, and that is a very important thing. Um, so let us know what your concerns are. Um, if we said something that gets you angry. Uh, please take that moment, take a breath, come back to it because we want to hear what your concern is. And I, it's something I do myself where if I'm hearing something or reading something where I'm like, 
I'm frustrated and this makes me angry, I'm going to pause before I say anything um, because I know that first thing I'll be like, well, blah, 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 and your mother addresses you funny. And it's not going to be like, it, it's not going to present my point well and then also the, the person's not going to hear that and I'll, I'll just attack them and not been like, here's where I take issue with what you said. So... In the comments, please, let's be peaceful. Let's have a fun conversation, even if we don't agree. Um, that was a long exit spiel. Hope you have a wonderful week, dear listeners, and hope you uh, you got something from this. Thank you for listening, and God bless, my friends. Take care. <laughs>